Hello, Zach. Hello, Jack. Good to be in the same room as you again uh, after all these months. Yeah, it's been a while, like four months now. And it's not just you. Uh, we're rejoined by, I think, is Carlos our first guest? If not our first, uh, one of our very first guests. Yeah. Uh, and one of our very first repeat guests, Carlos Welch. Thank you so much for joining us again. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, so Carlos, uh, we hear you have a hand. Yeah, I do. Um, this is a hand that I played um, a while back. I haven't played live cash in a long time, but I did um, dig this hand out of the um, archives. So this is a 1-2 game, and the, the effective stacks are about 400 And um, Under the Gun raises to $7, and I'm in the cutoff with two black sevens. And I call, and the button calls as well, and the blinds fold. So um, there's $24 in the pot. Okay, so Carlos, uh, what are the effective stacks of the button and under the gun? And do you have any history or any type of relevant read on either of those players? The effective stacks are 400 and the button is generally a pretty tight player. And I don't have any reads on the um, under the gun player. Okay. And did you say we were seven handed? Or no, he had pocket sevens. So it was a full table. Yes. Okay. All right. So what was the action on the flop? Um, on the flop, the under the gun player checked to me, and I bet ten dollars into a pot of twenty four. So just to recap, um, I have. Pocket sevens on a seven five I'm on a six five four all spades and um or maybe I didn't get to that part. Uh, so let me let me just say the flop again. I can't remember if I said the flop. Six of spades, five of spades, four of spades. And I have um two black sevens, so obviously the seven of spades. And it checks to me on the flop, I bet ten dollars, and the button calls and the under the gun player folds. So now there's forty four dollars in the pot. Okay, so what are you trying to accomplish with this bet of uh, $10 in the 24? Um, I don't know. <laughs> this is a hand that um, I, I feel like um, I think I was trying to get value from like a spade. And I, and I, and I also didn't want to like bet so big that if the guy raised, I would be kind of like, like I'm probably going with it on this board, but I'm not happy with it. So I'm not quite not quite sure what I'm trying to accomplish. I guess a little bit of value and a little bit of protection maybe from like, you know, I don't know, King Jack of Hearts or something. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely understand that motive, uh, the protection motive. I think part of the problem is that this is a hand that it's tempting to bet because it can win in a lot of ways. But it's really hard to get value with this hand. The, I mean, obviously, like the main value targets that we would generally desire are like lower pairs, and I don't think you're just going to get very much value from lower pairs. Like an ace six might call you for one street, uh, but that's probably basically the extent of your value target, especially since you're blocking like seven six pretty hard. Uh, And so then you're getting value from draws, but it's not really a great way to get value, uh, just since they have pretty decent equity against your hand anyway, and 
it's pretty, you know, you're likely to get bluffed uh, when certain cards come in. But since your hand can win in a lot of ways, I, I think probably check calling most sizings from the button is the line I would choose. And just probably have to accept that sometimes you're going to get drawn out on by, like, two over cards, which is is pretty hard to... Honestly, like, I have a hard time accepting that, but I think that's probably what, what you have to do. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually... I, I personally do like betting this, uh, just because I think in a 1-2 game it's pretty safe to assume that uh, people are going to play pretty passively, and it's unlikely for you to be you know, bluff a lot on this flop when you bet out. I think betting out 10, though, definitely invites, you know, the ace and the king and maybe even, like, the queen of spades to to opt to semi-bluff as opposed to just call. I think when the under-the-gun player checks, I think the vast majority of the time they're, you know, they're not checking to check raise. They're checking to check call or to check fold. So I think in both of those players' ranges you have... You know, a lot of combinations with ace of spades, king of spades, um, and then, you know, some bear overcards that you want protection against. So I think a, a bet of maybe like a little under $20 is kind of the best here. And you said like you're not happy with it, but you'll comfortably go with this hand on this board where if I'm thinking 200 big blinds at a 1-2 game where, you know, barring any reads, I think people are going to play fairly passively and not be aggressive without a hand that has us crushed. I think I'm pretty comfortable folding to a raise. Again, it you know might might be different in the specific one two game you're playing in, but just based on the info that kind of uh, we have so far, I think I'm pretty comfortable bet folding this flop to a bit of a larger sizing. Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree because I think part of the problem here is that what we would like to accomplish can be accomplished with a small bet. Because really, I don't think we're folding out over cards with a high spade. Uh, I don't think it's totally unlikely that we're going to get raised by the ace of spades. I do think it's likely we're going to get raised by, you know, flushes. So, you know, we're probably folding to a raise, and some of those hands are hands that uh, we're ahead of. The The thing about betting 10 here, and I don't think it's as much of a problem at 1-2, so that's why I, if you're going to bet, I do like your size in Carlos. Uh, but it's just, there's not that many hands... There's not very many hands we would want to bet, really, for value that we would want to use that sizing, because we want to use a sizing that uh, gives you know an ace high spade hand a harder decision. So, yeah, I, I, if you're going to bet, I like the sizing of ten, but yeah, I, I still think just check calling, hoping for a really awesome turn card is probably the move. Okay, um, so we're ready to go to the turn action. Yeah, unless uh, you think we're totally off base. No, um, I can go either way with this. Um, I just think that all the options are fairly close. The the one thing I would say is um, I don't know. I think Zach, I'm not sure if I have you guys' um, voices down yet, but I think it was Zach that um, said that he would fold to a raise. Um so, like, if we bet and, like, let's say that um, button makes it 60. So, it'll cost us 40 more. And what would that be in a pot at that point? Um, like, 100 in the pot. Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess what I'm thinking is um, just counting outs and um, considering the hands that he would do it with. Yeah, if this is the type of person that won't do that with the Ace of Spades, then and, – and I did say that that player was pretty tight. So, yeah, with this player in particular, if, if he raises if, – if I bet the flop for 20 and he raises, then I'm probably um, – I'm probably folding – but if I bet 10 and he made it like 30 or 40, I'm probably calling that just with the um, effective stacks behind. Um, but, yeah, I think I think if I bet 20, I'm, I'm comfortable um, um, folding to a raise from that player. So um, that that was my only. Yeah, the, the only question that I had from that um, discussion from your guys, from, from, from your input was. Um, the idea of um, just auto folding to the raise. I think I would want to look at um, sizing and who raised and reads and, and, and all that. But um, in this case, it didn't happen. Um, I bet. And the guy just called and the turn was the 10 of hearts. Did the under the gun player fold? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, so just to recap um, the, I bet the flop, $10, button called, under the gun player folded, and the turn is the 10 of hearts. And so now the board is six, five, four of spades with the 10 of hearts on the turn, and I have the seven, two black sevens. At this point, I'm thinking that he either has a spade or he has, um, like, like you said, a six or, um, I, I think, this is the type of player that will probably raise with like two pair or a set or flush by now. So on this turn, um, at the time I decided to check because I still feel like his range is not that, that strong, but I don't want to, um, if I get raised on the turn, I don't know what to do. And so I decide to, um, check here probably, um, Check calling to see if he's going to um, bluff with his big, with his um, hands that have a um, spade in it, and if he has a pair below, I, like like um, Jack said, I don't think I'm um, getting multiple streets anyway, and so I think that was my reasoning for checking the turn here. Mm-hmm. I actually, once you get called, you know, by the button, I think I prefer sort of turning our hand into a bluff. Uh, on the turn and it's not necessarily like some of the a lot of the hands we're bluffing uh we're ahead of uh but they're hands that have still significant equity against us and i think some of those calls are going to be from hands like eights nines uh maybe even a hand like jacks that will be a lot more likely to fold uh, to a second large bet so I, i actually like betting a lot larger on the turn giving a price that those uh, that the draws can't really reasonably call, and that's likely to fold out made hands that are better than yours. Uh, I think checking is is all right since uh, I think you'll be able to play really well once you've checked. But I think you're going to win a larger share of the pot from betting betting out of here on the turn. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, betting to a large sizing is good on the turn. And in many ways, you're turning your hand into a bluff against, like, eights, nines, uh, you know, jacks. Um, but 
depending on how this player would play his ace of spades or maybe even his king of spades, um, you're also potentially getting value from those hands too. Uh, even though the player is not getting the right price, and my experience in these types of situations, uh, especially with the ace of spades, people are rarely going to fold even to a near pot size bet here. Um, and if they do fold, that's great, because you fold out a hand with significant equity against you. So yeah, I like betting to a large sizing here, and you know, unless we get a straight um, on or straight flush on the river, I'm probably checking, plenty to check most rivers. Yeah, I agree about checking the river. Okay, I think a lot of one-two players, they're gonna see when you check on the river as like you trapping them, and they're not gonna want to bluff unless. Uh, well, yeah, they're just not going to want to bluff if they whiff. So I think you're pretty safe checking. Okay. Um, in this case, I checked, and the player on the button checked behind. And so now the pot is still $44, and the river is the beautiful eight of spades. So I river the um, um, straight flush and... Um, my thought process at this point is um, I'm still putting like either pairs with like, you know, like we mentioned a six or something like that, or maybe even something with like a seven in it, like um, seven, six or something. Um, and that's what I'm giving him as, as far as like value hands. I don't think he has many over pairs at this point. And so it's like marginal pairs and, has with one big spade in it. And so against that range, I'm thinking that if he has the marginal pairs, I'm not going to win much. I'm not going to win anything else anyway. And if he has a big spade, then I should be able to uh, win a big pot here. And so because I've played the the hand so... um <sighs> Passively so far, the pot is kind of small, but I think um, if I go for a, if he has like the ace of spades or the king of spades, I think I can get a check raise paid off on the river. So I decide to um, check here to um, try to induce that. What are your thoughts on that, um, Lon? Yeah, I really like the check here. Um, I also think that while you did describe him as a type player, he's at one, two, He's probably not going to turn, uh, you know, hands into bluffs. I think there is still some chance that he could. And even even if he does that a minority of the time, you're still getting uh, a lot more value from his kind of hands he turns into bluffs, uh, like the low pairs or even maybe pocket nines, which you wouldn't get if you bet out. And then, uh, yeah, I think going for the check raise, even if they feel like that seems a lot stronger than just betting huge, like what the equivalent of your check raise might be, um, they will probably feel so much more pot committed after hitting their hand and betting the river. So I think in this case, I'm, these stacks are really deep. I'm going for probably a check check raise all in. I think that uh, this is a really good spot to specifically value target the ace of spades because you're really deep. Um, I think if I thought this player, you know, had many combos with the Queen of Spades and Jack of Spades in their range, I wouldn't go for such a large sizing, but given kind of your read that this is like a tighter player, I think they're going to have 
you know, a lot more Ace of Spades combos and some King of Spades combos as played. So I think I'm gonna try to value target the Ace of Spades and maybe occasionally King of Spades will call um, and just go all in for for max value. Yeah. So I I think I think check raising is is really solid. Uh, I'm definitely thinking that might be the best play. I'll float out another idea, which would be to bet small. And I think the big question here is how how do I make sure I get a good amount of value from the king of spades? And so let's say the pot is 44. So if you bet 20, I think a big question is here, is is this player ever going to raise you with the king of spades? And if if not, what would this player have bet with the king of spades and would they call it a um, That's a good question. Um, I would expect a bet from the... Um, I, I would expect a bet from the King of Spades if I check. Um, if I bet 20, I don't know if the King of Spades will necessarily raise. Um, I'm sure the Ace of Spades would, but I'm not sure about the King. Yeah, I think a player like this who's sort of passive 1-2 is going to show up with a lot of you know weaker flushes. So, you know, 9s, Jacks with a Spade, 8-9 with a Spade, uh maybe some ten of spades hands. I, I think, yeah, I think queen of spades hands are unlikely. Although I think the queen of spades might decide to call you on the flop and then regret it, check the turn. But I think none of those hands are going to bet here. And I think some of them might call 20. So I think you're getting some value by betting small here from those hands. And I, I think the ace is definitely raising you. And I don't know, I think depending on the player you're going to get a similar amount of value from kings uh, whether you check-raise or you lead out small. Because basically the question is, like, does this player overvalue the king of spades here? Uh, and we can debate whether going for a thin raise with the king of spades is correct. Uh, but in terms of, like, putting 100 bucks with the king of spades right now, I think we can all agree that that's a bit of an overplay. So it's really a question of is he going to overplay his king, and I think he'll probably overplay it regardless of whether you lead out small or check raise. Uh, so my hunch is you're not giving up that much value from kings by betting small. I'm thinking that this guy would um, call a $20 bet with the king of spades, but he wouldn't raise it. Whereas if I check and he bets the king, I could raise it pretty big. Maybe not all in because we're like $400 deep. Um, but like, let's say if I checked and he bet like 20 or 30 with the king of spades and I made it like 100 or 120, I think he would call that. I think, you know, actually, well, so I, if that's if that's true, which it definitely might be, then that's definitely a big plus for checking. Another thing here is the ace of spades is like, it's a little precarious just because of the SPR I think if we check and that player makes a pot size bet, if we shove for 350, are we ever getting a fold? Like, I think it's possible. Uh, where if we bet 20, get raised to 100 and then 3 bet, then I think it's less likely we're getting any folds from an ace. But that could be wrong. Yeah, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that at the 1 2 level, you know, people are not going to be folding, folding the ace of spades, and that that's like a big part of me advocating for the check kind of shove all in. Um, 
But yeah, I think in terms of whether we should bet something like 20, I might even be more inclined for 15 just to really... I think when you bet below 20, the king of spades is going to be really inclined to raise. You know, something I talk about a lot is like, uh, you know, kind of like fuck you bets and bets that just make people feel weird because of like the sizing chosen. So the pot's $44 and you bet like 12 or something, I think you'll have like a really small percentage of like weird bluff raises. I think the king of spades will always raise and the ace of spades will always raise. And then you can get in, you know, even more money against those hands and they're going to feel more pot committed, even if the line feels stronger. And then you'll also still get that, you know, $12, $14 in value from the hands that Jack was talking about, like random flushes. So uh, Jack actually convinced me, I, th- I think the betting small is good. I would just go a little under 20 to ensure that the king of spades raises. Okay. Okay. I like that. Um, in this case, the guy ended up being even tighter than I thought he was. Because he instantly, I mean, like, snap check behind with ace king with the king of spades. He checks behind and then he starts to like reach for the pot. And then he's like confused when I show my um, straight flush. So uh, I just thought there's no way somebody's just going to check down the king of spades here, but he did. And that's why this hand sticks out of my mind from so long ago when I played it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I just, and I was wondering, like, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's disappointing for sure. Like, <laughs> I mean, when when stuff like this happens and like people play so badly, uh, but in a way that like kind of sucks in in like a very short sample. I always just try and take solace in like realizing like all the huge mistakes they're gonna make against you uh, when you have a hand that would call a value bet and just uh scoop your your pot of like 20 big blinds with a straight flush and you know put a smile on right right and when i i um i guess the major what there were obviously some mistakes on earlier streets as well but um i think the river is probably the best uh, the more interesting spot um between um checking to induce a raise or betting to induce a raise. Now that didn't even cross my mind at the time. I was thinking between either checking or betting closer to pot. I I don't I don't like betting closer to pot, but the idea that you guys had of betting small to induce a raise, I think I like that better because it, it has um the benefit of getting called the guy that's not going to rate a guy that's not going to bet the king of spades when checked to we do pick up value from him when he he's obviously going to call a bet of 12 or 15 but um um that could also induce a raise from more aggressive players yeah i mean i don't think it's worth considering uh players who won't you know value bet a king of the king here in in coming up with our river strategy but if you were to be that detailed and consider the you know small percentage of the field that's going to check behind with the king then i mean it's obviously evidence towards uh yeah making the small bet but yeah i think it's pretty inconsequential and like i just don't think most players are playing like this so I, I think check check raising is 
probably pretty close in value. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think what we're talking about, how all the flop decisions seem pretty similar, uh, you know, check calling versus leading out, is just based on like the nature of your hand being sort of like the ultimate bluff catcher and like just like like an, the ultimate bluff catcher on this sort of really wet board that is likely to change in future streets. Yeah, it's just protection betting and just check calling are just going to have a really similar outcome. And it's probably mostly going to be based on the runout and whether or not your opponent is holding a very strong hand. Right, right. All right. So what's keeping you from cash? Um, that I'm not good at it, as evidenced by this hand. <laughs> and it's not, it's not as fun to me. I just prefer tournaments. But man, the thought of busting out of a tournament is just so heartbreaking to me that like, I've been home the last few days and end up watching a little bit of like, you know, just plain TV, which I almost never do. And so flipping to like the WPT and the main event broadcast and like seeing these guys make totally reasonable decisions and like have their tournament life just like ended is, is so heartbreaking to me. Like, I just want them to be able to feel good about their decision and buy back in, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I played the main event this year, and I was, I was just going to say that I busted on day three um, with Queens against um, Maria's, Maria Ho's ace-king. Um, I opened the button. She three-bet. I four-bet, and she ripped. Um, and we were about 50 bigs effective. And so I busted with Queens in that spot. Uh, so it, it kind of sucks watching her on TV playing with my chips, but, um, I will, I won't say it's as heartbreaking as you would expect. <laughs> yeah. You I guess I'm just getting used to it. Yeah, you have a good attitude about it. It's funny. I was watching, so I was watching with my brother and like, uh, I can't remember who had Queens, but someone got dealt Queens and Sean Deep got dealt aces and like, you know, they were like 50 big lines effective. And I told my brother, I was like, yeah, he just he just lost the tournament. Like, he's out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, sort of, you know, what we, what we think of in terms of like a poker miracle is like not so unlikely in, you know, real world terms. But, you know, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to, you know, get all the money in preflop. And if he doesn't, you know, there's just like a ton of runouts that all the money is going in. And I almost, I almost had to, you know, swallow my tongue because he played... I thought he played it really well, and like it was a run out where he was sort of realized he was bluff catching, so he played it pretty passively. But then Sean T moved in on the river, and he was like, it was like, you know, the perfect bluff catching hand to, and he just clearly had the right price to call, and he called, and then it was over. And it's just disappointing. I don't know. It gets me. <laughs> I was going to say, I had a hand, I had a hand at the win on Friday where we were on the stone bubble of this tournament. And um, I got it in with Kings on a deuce for four board against eights. And then the guy got down the river um, to bust me. And that, that doesn't tilt me at all. What tilts me is when I play badly, like with this sevens hand. So whether it's cash or tournaments, uh, losing doesn't, tilt me as much as mistakes that's i mean i don't think any tilt is desirable but the nice thing about tournaments in that kind of tilt is like when you play bad in a tournament you're probably out so you're, you probably didn't just like reload 
and so it's, it's a it's a much safer scenario to be tilting than in a cash game. You make a mistake, you know, you know, buy back in full, and you're ready to punt off some more. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. How long would you say, callers, that you've you know kind of felt impervious to the type of like getting sucked out on tilt in tournaments? Um, how long? Um, uh, I I don't know. It's it's been a while. Uh, I'll say that I, I definitely I definitely it still sucks. But when I first started, I would like punch holes in the wall if I lost a flip, <laughs> you know. So it hasn't been that bad, and you know, probably like you know, five years. Yeah. So just so, the reason I asked is something I've been thinking about lately, and kind of talking through student with some students about is, you know, just the huge advantage like professional or very regular poker players have over people that play so infrequently. You know, like you 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 play a combination of online and live tournaments, so you're seeing. You're playing so many tournaments that even if you know you're you're losing eighty ninety percent of the time, you're still going to have a win, you know. More frequently than a lot of people that play poker recreationally play, so and it's the same kind of thing for cash. Like you can let one hand kind of haunt you if you like lost three hundred dollars at a one two game and you only get to play once or twice a month. Where if you're playing kind of every day, then you know two three uh, buy and swings are just kind of normal both ways, and you don't kind of get tilted by it anymore uh and i kind of envy you that you've you know had this experience in tournaments because in my experience i've i've played three live tournaments one i butchered a hand so badly it's it's like it's kind of just a joke uh when i think about it in retrospect uh and then the other two (laughs) the first live tournament i ever played i i like got into for free and then i like bubbled the tournament and it just felt fucking terrible and then the other one was like at one of those Rio two daily two thirty five tournaments, uh, and I had like whatever five hundred big lines in the second level after winning a big pot, and then got it in with like top set against a gut shot, and lost that hand. And it it really does tilt me in a way that like if I got top setting against a gut shot in a cash, it wouldn't be anything. I've, I've got to say though, like I'm getting drawn to it again. I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't had much with the Zyder play tournaments in like couple years now but something is changing and i think i'm ready to like expose myself to it again in the right circumstance sorry to hear that yeah it'll it'll (laughs) happen to you too man yeah i mean i've been in vegas for the last two wsops and like i definitely feel that desire to play the tournaments when i'm there and then i just think about you know how much i'm gonna hate losing it and how much my comparative skill advantage is lower if I even have one in tournaments, so I've been watching these broadcasts. You've got you've got an edge. <laughs> okay. There's definitely aspects of <laughs> there's aspects of tournament. Yeah, play, I, I'll, I'll say that. There, there's some nuances to tournament play that like I definitely don't have a handle on. And honestly, I think one of the biggest adjustments is just like how you should play against people who are you know sort of ridiculously tight, except for like every once in a while. <laughs> But definitely some some of the like some of the bets I'm seeing are just like have to be mistakes. It's just sort of it's very strange. It's just sort of a different strategy that doesn't you know totally line up with the way I think about poker. Uh, so I think it's a combination of things I don't know and 
probably some things that they don't know also. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'll say that uh, I describe being a tournament player is like being a stuntman. You just get paid to get kicked in the nuts for a living. And that's fine as long as you know that's what you're signing up for. But that's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah, and I, I've been playing a lot of PLO Cash lately because that's kind of the, the biggest game and, you know, the best game to play in, in Cleveland where, where we're based out of. And after kind of taking a two-and-a-half-month break from poker, playing any live poker and kind of coming back to that, like, that's kind of what PLO can feel like sometimes. Even when you're, you know, running well, it just things change so much. And I, I imagine that even, like, a no-limit tournament where you have an edge, there's still probably greater variance than PLO Cash. Yeah, I can see that. All right, Carlos. You know, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, you know, I know you've already plugged all your shit once on our show, but we've got some new listeners, or you know, hopefully, or else our old listeners are you know listening more than they used to, <laughs> and they could probably use a reminder. <laughs> okay, so you can um, find me on Twitter at Hip Hop One Hundred One Trivia, also um, Twitch. Um, twitch.tv slash Carlos Welch and just on, you know, various uh, poker podcasts, Thinking Poker, Tournament Poker Edge, um, Just Hands. So, yeah, um, I'm pretty easy to find. Just type in Carlos Welch Poker and I'm sure all kinds of stuff will come up. Awesome. Hi, Carlos. Thanks again and we'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you in in May when we're out out in this. uh... Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. If you're still there. Playing tournaments. (laughs) Yes, I will be. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Peace.